I'll be preaching today from the Gospel reading, but the first half of the Gospel reading. So Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When a sports coach or a politician or a boss is giving a talk, a speech, and before they get to the details and the specifics of what they want the people in front of them to actively do, they'll often step back and give a big picture, give an image. And the idea is that the people will catch something of a vision of what they are to be about before they get to the specifics, to the details. It seems to me that in these verses before us, Jesus is doing something like that in the context of the great Sermon on the Mount. So later in this Sermon on the Mount, as it's famously known, Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, Jesus will give lots of very practical, specific, concrete teaching about how his disciples are to live. You remember some of this? Teaching on anger and lust, teaching on divorce and oaths and revenge and prayer and giving to the poor and fasting and much more. But here, before you get to those specifics, you get the big picture, if you like. You get the vision to capture your imagination. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is how Jesus wants his disciples to picture their calling in the world. And this is what we want to explore in more depth today. As we do, we'll look at it under three main headings. First, we'll see how Jesus simply tells his disciples who they are. Then we'll see how he tells them, or he warns them, not to lose that. And finally, why it's so important. So first, Jesus tells his disciples who they are. He tells you who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What are these pictures all about? What's this vision? You'll be surprised, actually, at how long you can meditate on them, think about them, and discuss them. At one of our Bible studies during the week, I think the group wasn't sure we'd be able to fill up the time, We ended up spending half an hour just talking about the first verse, just about salt, all its different uses, all of the different ways you could take this. For example, how it enhances flavor. We still use salt on our food today. How it preserves, especially in the ancient world before refrigeration. How it can cleanse and have healing properties. People still take salt baths and this sort of thing how it was precious in ancient times too, Roman soldiers being paid in salt. The Old Testament too, you may be surprised to learn, has many references to salt. Salt on the sacrifices at the temple. Salt used for God's covenant with his people. So there's this phrase in the Old Testament, the salt of the covenant. It seems legitimate to me to meditate on all these and how they may relate to our calling as Jesus' disciples in the world. But notice what they have in common. Notice something more fundamental here. 
First, that salt does not exist for its own sake. Salt is always used on or with something else. You don't serve salt as a side dish, do you? Unless you were like my brothers and me growing up, and we tried to trick each other, telling them that a bowl of salt was a bowl of sugar and have a big spoonful. But that's not normal, is it? You don't just eat salt. Salt is for something else. That's how it works. Just so Jesus' disciples, the church, Christian people, they are for others, for the earth. They are for those around them. And notice whether salt is for enhancing flavor or preserving or cleansing, that these are all good things. Jesus' disciples... They are not in this world to make things worse but better, to be an influence for good. Think about it where you are. Think about it concretely, practically here. Why does God have this group of Christians here at Bethlehem on Flinders Street in Adelaide? It's so that we can be salt in this part of the earth, light in this community living out our Christian lives of love for those around us? Why does God have you and your family on your street, your school, your community club? It's so that you are salt and light in that place. But notice something very important about this. Jesus does not say, you must become my salt. You must become my light. He simply tells you, who you are, who you are in Him. You are salt. You are light. He has already called these disciples to Himself. He has already been the one who has come to cleanse us. Jesus is the light that dawns on our darkness and then He says to us, you are salt. You are light because you belong to Him. We can have a tendency as Christians to hear these verses from Jesus and to take them immediately as our marching orders, to think immediately that there is something we must do here, get active, get saltier and more light-filled. But perhaps it's better to think about it this way, that here Jesus is calling us to be who we are, to be who we are, you are salt and light. Now be who you are. That's the first thing that Jesus tells us today, who we are. But alongside that, he wants to warn us not to lose that, not to hide it. He does this in a couple of different ways. He talks about salt losing its saltiness. He talks about light being hidden under a basket. Now, as far as I can tell, and from the reading I've done, salt does not lose its saltiness. A few people asked about this at Bible studies during the week, not in the normal course of things, at least. But that's part of the point, it seems to me. Because similarly, no one lights a lamp to put a big basket over it. 
These seem to be deliberately somewhat absurd pictures to grab your attention. Because you are salt, because you are light, Jesus almost can't imagine his disciples not being this, hiding this away, somehow losing it. It's just as absurd as a city set up on a hill that is trying to hide itself. Now, as I said, you don't make yourself these things. You already are these things, but there is a warning here then. Don't lose that. Don't hide it away. Salt that's lost its saltiness is no good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. That is warning language, no doubt about it. So what's Jesus talking about then? Well, here's one way to think about it. I said earlier that salt is for something else. Jesus' disciples are for the good of the world. But think about the other side of that too, that the reason salt works well on food or whatever it's being used for is that it's distinctive. It's different from that which it affects. And so Christians have this call to be the salt of the earth, even when things seem in the world like they're going down the drain, we do not simply abandon this world. We are here to be salt and light. But as we do that, as we live our Christian life in this world, we also need to be careful not to lose those things which make us distinctive. Those things which characterize Christian people. Because when salt loses its saltiness, it's no good for anything. If the Christian church just looks and sounds like everyone else, then it cannot do the very thing it is called to do. To be something which preserves and shines light into this dark and decaying world. Here's a parallel way that Jesus puts it, I think, in, as recorded in John 17. Jesus says to his disciples, They are not, or he says to his father about his disciples, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. But then he says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Not of the world, distinctive, different, but yes, sent into the world as salt and light. Don't lose who you are. Finally then, Jesus tells us why this is so important. The final verse, he says, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That is an incredible statement. Here you get the ultimate purpose of Jesus' teaching here. You get the power that's involved. Yet, Jesus gives his disciples to be salt and light in the world, but not so that the world can go on its merry way apart from God. The whole purpose, the point, the goal, why this is so important, is that as Christian people live their salty, light-filled lives among other people, God will use this to draw others to himself. That's the goal. And notice how this is a very different goal. This is something that sets the Christian church apart. 
There are a lot of good goals to have in this world as you go about doing good. World peace, a harmonious society, lower crime and homelessness. And of course, all of these things are good things. And as we are salt and light, we will be involved in alleviating these sorts of problems in our world and our communities, but they are not the end game for us. The end game is the glory of God. The end game is that people will be led to glorify your Father together with you. And so we may ask, well, what are these good works? What are they that we are to be doing that people will see and be drawn to glorify the Father? That's a good question. And the place to start from my point of view is in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, this is the big picture. This is the vision that Jesus wants us to catch in our imagination. But what he goes on to do is give the specifics in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Sermon on the Mount. And what does he teach us? Well, he teaches us that we are to be people who live differently when it comes to things like not just murder, but anger. Not just adultery, but even lust. That we are to be people who live differently when it comes to marriage and sexuality. When it comes to how we speak the truth. That we are to be people who forego revenge. And even love and pray for our enemies. And it's that final command of Jesus to love and pray for our enemies. That leads me to a little story from this past week that I'll finish with for today. There were a number of terrible events in the news this week, as there are most weeks, unfortunately. But perhaps some of you saw the one from Sydney last weekend, where a drunk driver veered off the road into a group of children, killing four of them. Three of them were siblings in a family of six. The other one was their cousin. As the news broke, there was understandable fury expressed in some places. If you read through online comments of these news stories, you saw fury. People making comments to the effect that they hope this person burns in you-know-where. And surely we can understand the emotional reaction. But the part you may not have seen so prominently covered in the news is that this family were devout Christians. And the mother of the children came out publicly and spoke about her Christian faith shortly after this tragedy. She spoke about how it was the most important part of their family life. She spoke about Jesus who died on the cross. She compared her current experience to walking the stations of the cross on Good Friday. And then perhaps most amazingly of all, she said of the driver, I don't hate him. I think in my heart to forgive him. That's who we are. And there in the midst of unimaginable tragedy and loss was a burst of light shining through. People will notice this. Surely people will hear this woman speak and ask, what is it that makes her able to do that? Who is this Jesus that died on the cross? Surely people will be led 
to glorify her Father in heaven. This is Jesus' big picture vision for the calling of his disciples in the world. He tells us who we are, salt and light. He warns us not to lose it or hide it. He tells us why it's so important that many more would be led to glorify our Father in heaven. Friends, let us be who we are. God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.